Blau und weiß ein Leben lang. Hallo meine Leute, wie geht's? Willkommen zum Das Einzige Schalke Podcast auf Englisch. That's right, folks. Officially the world's only English Schalke Podcast worldwide. This is episode 99 of Schalke America and I'm your host, Richard Carmen. This pod aims to bring you the latest from the Royal Blues, talk to the English-speaking fans of the club, get their point of view across, And bring your game highlights. As always, joining me on the show is co-host Jack Mangan. How are we doing, Jack, on episode 99? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, you know, you, you set pretty low expectations for the team <laughs> going into this weekend, and somehow they still find a way to kind of disappoint you anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, but we, yeah. we definitely went into that one with our eyes wide open, and, uh, you know, hopefully it's it's onwards and upwards from here. Yeah, and I think what no better way to do it. We need to get our... our our minds distracted and i think there's no better way to do this than bring on a guest um this guy needs no introduction he's commentator extraordinaire uh the legend himself welcome to the show derek ray derek how are you doing this evening good evening it's great to be with you thank you for the invitation i'm very well i've enjoyed my bundesliga weekend i've watched every single game i've been watching some action from the zweite bundesliga as well which is one of my great passions and i'm actually getting ready for a game in the zweite bundesliga tomorrow not too far from gelsenkirchen being played uh -huh. in bochum in the great city of bochum on the kastropper straße bochum against st pauli so all is well here I know that all wasn't well with you guys on Friday because, of course, I was commentating on that too. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Jack. Uh, that was a little. This it's hard to watch that one, Jack. Huh? It it, it really was. But before we uh, we dig into that, I believe some uh, congratulations are in order because you are officially the lead commentator for ESPN's coverage of the Bundesliga six-year contract you signed recently to take that over from Fox. Uh, congratulations on that, and we couldn't be happier with that selection on our end either. Well, thank you, Jack. That's very kind of you. Uh, yes, I'll be the main commentator for all the games that air on ESPN linear TV networks. And of course, I also have a relationship with the Bundesliga's world feed. And I think a lot of people who watch the world feed matches might know my voice from that. Indeed, the voices of my other wonderful colleagues on the world feed. So I will be keeping my relationship going with the DFL world feed. The only problem is, of course, we're in a pandemic at the moment. And like you guys, I live here in the USA. So that is problematic from the travel point of view. But everybody is creative and we have one or two creative solutions in mind. And hopefully they can come to fruition quite soon. So that lead commentator position, was that something that you you jumped on and pushed for yourself when it became available? Or was ESPN, were you always their guy for this once once that once that deal was signed? Um, what I would say is that obviously I have a long-standing relationship with ESPN going all the way back to, in fact, the mid-1990s, and then particularly in the early 2000s when I commentated on the UEFA Champions League for ESPN. I also went back to the UK to be one of the commentators on their fledgling UK channel from 2009 on until that folded in 2013. Now, I've been away for a little while, um, but of course I have 
colleagues there and friends there. And it's something really that evolved more this summer. I don't think anybody was 100% sure how it was all going to evolve. But obviously, you know, you guys know me and you know my work and you know my passions. You know what I really care about yeah. is the Bundesliga above all else. So there was contact during the summer and it was put to me, would I be interested in being the voice of all the games that would be going on ESPN Linear TV networks? And um, of course, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm not quite up the road, but I'm two hours from ESPN. I live here in the Boston area. And um, yeah, so we got together on it. And what's especially exciting for me, guys, is not just doing the games on linear for ESPN, but also appearing on the ESPN FC show regularly as a Bundesliga pundit insider. And beginning this week, writing a column about the Bundesliga for ESPN.com slash soccer. So it's all kind of evidence that ESPN is ramping things up in terms of the Bundesliga as the rights holder in the USA. And you mentioned it for the next six years. Jack, that's uh, breaking news there, huh? He's, uh, he's going to be writing for them as well. This is great. I mean, we're, we're glad that you're on, especially on ESPN FC, excuse me. Um, but I want to talk about a little bit about ESPN. You know, many of, many of the watchers, not only in, in the Americas, but, you know, like, I guess in Canada and U.S. And, and Mexico, have been watching on Fox Soccer, and they've gotten used to that. And then, you know, um, many people were say what say what you want about that fox soccer when they heard that the move to espn was going to happen they weren't so sure how that was going to take place um what was your viewpoint obviously you you obviously are, are hired by them and whatnot but you know from your point of view uh what does espn bring that you know maybe maybe uh the, the viewers who are unsure can you know just jump on board because i think we you know we talked about this pre-pod that this is actually might be better, more beneficial to the fans just to have espn on there and, and the streaming services well, I have a lot of friends at Fox as well. As you know, I've worked for Fox as a freelance. I'm a freelance broadcaster. I've worked for Fox on the last two World Cups, men's and women's. And, you know, they did the Bundesliga their own way. They had more games on linear TV, on mostly FS2, but also on FS1. And then many of the other games on the, the Match Pass service. Um, I think it really is up to people to judge. It's still early days with ESPN. I think what you are seeing quite clearly is that there is now the ability to watch every Bundesliga match on ESPN Plus at a very reasonable price. Yeah. And, you know, I talk obviously a lot to people in the UK, being from Scotland and having worked for BT Sport until fairly recently covering the Bundesliga amongst other properties. And when you tell them what, ESPN Plus costs and what you get for that, um, you know, eyebrows are raised. They go, you know, wow, we, we have nothing like that in the yeah. UK. So I think you've got to sort of approach it from that standpoint. Now, you know, I understand that some people like to watch their games on old fashioned television, if you like. They're used to that. They're, they've grown accustomed to that in recent years. I have to tell you that, you know, I went through the same thing that maybe a lot of other Bundesliga fans did this past weekend. I had the Bundesliga on my computer, the same one I'm using to talk to you guys right now. I had my iPad on one side, I had my phone, and I had all the games on together. And I thought, yeah, I thought, I, honestly, I felt as though I was in heaven because I had everything in front of me. I had my radio on too because I like to listen to VDR2 yeah. during the games too to get a bit of context from the German end of things. And I had it all going at once. And um, for me, 
it worked perfectly. Now, you know, for somebody who, who again, wants to watch a game on a linear network, then, you know, maybe they prefer that system. But the feedback I got, and I actually put a little tweet out about it on Saturday. I said, what's everybody's experience? was overwhelmingly positive from people yeah. who I think otherwise were maybe not tapping into the Bundesliga. Yeah. Uh, I think now felt, wow. I can actually pick and choose what I want to watch and yes. it doesn't cost the earth. And so, you know, the conclusion I would draw from it is that in the grand scheme of things, in the long run, I think it will win over more fans to the Bundesliga. I think, uh, you know, I've been trying to sell, I've been one of the people who's trying to sell ESPN to people because I've been watching, you know, Serie A and, and Eredivisie as well. And I, that was, you know, the year before. And so I, I was telling people, look, the price point is better than, than you had before. The choice of games are so much better, and you can you can take take it with you. And the the streaming quality is perfect. I mean, there's no downsides to this. Um, I was one of the big proponents. Jack, uh, how'd you feel about this whole whole thing? No, yeah, I was I was definitely all for it. Um, and I, I really do feel as though we are, particularly in the states, like spoiled for choice when it comes to uh, football coverage. I mean, you, you mentioned you know compared to when you talk to people overseas about what we have access to, how much football we can actually watch, you know, on a weekend per weekend basis. It, it really is. Um, incredible and something I don't think everyone fully appreciates maybe to this yeah. extent, but we always do love seeing, you know, people posting that content on Twitter of like the multi-screen setup that they have going so they can, you know, catch all the different action from not just the Bundesliga, but, you know, all over and everything. Um, you in particular, Derek, are somebody who, I mean, we, we know, you know, your, your involvement with, um, you know, the Bundesliga, the world feed and all that. And, and obviously you're um, now doing this with ESPN, but I, you really do seem to be a, a fairly high profile champion of German football in general, not just the Bundesliga, but despite the Bundesliga as well, some of the lower leagues. What is it about German football, in your opinion, that really makes it so special? And what would your sales pitch be to uh, you know viewers, particularly in the states, who maybe are primarily watching you know the Premier League or La Liga or, and haven't really tapped into the Bundesliga as of yet? What I would say to people is, it's football with a soul. It's football that comes from the heart. Now, it's extra special to me because I grew up a German speaker from a young age. And the German language is something that is in me. And so it sort of went hand in hand. I mean, you've got to remember, I was a youngster in Aberdeen, northeast of Scotland, right on the North Sea. And in the old days, one of the earliest highways, if you like, was a waterway, the North Sea. So places like Aberdeen would trade with the Low Countries, with Belgium, the Netherlands, and Hamburg. And so I used to get the radio signal from Hamburg into my home in Aberdeen. And I made this magical discovery that I could listen to the Bundesliga back around 1979, 1980, when I was learning German. So it all sort of came together for me at that young age. Now, you know, since then, and obviously I studied in Germany and the language, you know, which I'm you know, very lucky to be fluent in uh, is part of me. So what I try to do with all that is say, you know, here's this wonderful country and language and football league that is in my heart. I want to share that with people. I, I want other people to discover it. And I'm a great believer that German football is chock full of amazing stories. You don't have to look too far to find these wonderful stories. And there are books you can buy yeah. in English now, which will, you know, shine a light on those stories. But I think here in the USA, if I could say so, if I could put it this way, I, I think we are sort of under the influence, and I'm from the UK, and I love the tradition of, of football from the UK, from England, I think is, is probably what you, you hear about most of all here in the US. I love all that, but there's often an appearance that 
England is the only country that has these romantic football stories. The yeah, other countries true. somehow, you know, are are lesser countries. That England is where it all started, and so it's only England that we really sort of pay attention to. And I always say, no, no, you know, go to Germany, have a look at the German story, have a look at every club. I could tell you stories about every single club in Germany, and they would be highly compelling. And um, I think probably because of the language barrier, because of the fact that German is a language that sounds very different, it's not <laughs> accessible to, to many people. Um, so that's why I will say, you know, if you can learn some German, then that will certainly help as well. But even if, if that's not within your capabilities or, or, you know, one of your passions, you can still love this league. And uh, I always say to people, it's funny, when, when I do bits and pieces for NBC, who cover the Premier League, I, I occasionally am asked to, to serve as a guest host for NBC. Um, and when I do that, and I talk to some of the wonderful people who work there, and many of them are new to, to our sport, and they have discovered it through the prism of the Premier League. They often will ask me, so I really want to go to a game uh, in Europe. What's the first place I should go? And I think I always surprise them a bit by saying, uh, well, Germany. And they go, really? Not England? And I say, no, Germany. And they say, well, where in Germany? And I say, well, you know what? Take your pick. Because it doesn't have to be one place in Germany. Schalke would be one of the clubs that I would be saying to people to consider. But um, there is just sort of this default position amongst American fans of European football, that England is automatically where it's at. Now, England could be where it's at, but it doesn't have to be. And so hopefully all of this goes some way towards explaining my passion for German football. Um, I kind of like to be a little bit left field sometimes. I, I, I like to not necessarily <laughs> be the, the person who is who is preaching what everybody else is preaching. Yeah. And, you know, on my Twitter feed, for example, I rarely tweet about English football, not because I don't like it, but I just feel there are enough people who are tweeting about English football. And it's not what I'm covering week in, week out. So the Bundesliga I see as as my little sphere of influence, if there is one. <laughs> and if I can do my bit to champion it and German football as a whole, you mentioned the Zweite Bundesliga, the Dritte Liga, the Regionalliga, all these leagues are, are part of me as well. And so, you know, more power to them all. And I'm always going to do my bit. So while we're on that real quick, uh, when we're talking about, you know, people potentially taking a trip to Germany um, and, uh, you know, where they should go, that kind of thing. I mean, Signal Duna Park is obviously referenced uh, quite do we have Derek at the moment? I see his picture for us here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Derek. Sorry, there you go. Yeah. Hey, um, but you know, so yeah, Signal Laguna Park is one that's obviously talked about a lot for for the atmosphere there for obvious reason. Um, is there a club or a ground? It doesn't even have to be in the Bundesliga. It could be a lower league off the beaten path potentially that you think doesn't get enough shine that that you personally love the atmosphere there. You you would recommend people go and check out. It's funny. Somebody was asking me today to name my top five venues in Germany. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I said, it really depends on my mood. I'll, I'll give you five today. And then you could ask me next week and I might give you five different yeah. answers, you know, because, because they're all subtly different. You guys know what I'm talking about, you know. Um, but what I would say, for example, would be, and, you know, we're doing the game from there tomorrow, uh, Bochum, not so very far from Gelsenkirchen. That is one of my favorites. And I go there a lot every season. Uh, and I encourage people to go to Bochum because it's 
pretty close to Dusseldorf Airport. You can be there in less than an hour by train. It's close to, to both Dortmund and Schalke. And it's special. You know, there is something about Bochum. There's something about the public there, about the appreciation for the club, about the songs that they sing. You cannot help but get caught up in the atmosphere there, particularly if you stand, as I do, in the Ostkurve. People always say to me, oh, did you get a press pass when you go to, to Bochum? I say, no, I, yeah. I buy my ticket for the uh, Ostkurve and I'm in there with all the locals and I sing all the songs that they're singing. And um, yeah, so I mean, that would be one that I would name without hesitation. Another one, which I think is slightly underrated, is, and they were in the Bundesliga until a few years ago, but are back in the second division where they tend to reside most of the time, Darmstadt. And oh. Darmstadt is not glamorous. Um, they have been doing uh, renovation work on the stadium, but again, it's wonderfully old school. And I do like the old school feel of most of the venues uh, in Germany. Uh, they're the ones that speak to me. I mean, I was very lucky to get to commentate on, and it's something that'll stay with me forever. It was a terrible game, by the way, but I was very lucky to commentate on Union, against Stuttgart in that oh. relegation playoff a couple of years ago at yeah. the Stadion an der Alten Försterei. And that, again, is just a special experience. I've heard, if, I've heard, yeah. Yeah, if you, guys, if you ever get the chance, um, go there for a game. And as I say, it was an awful game, but Union needed nil-nil against Stuttgart, and they got nil-nil. Almost nothing happened in the game. <laughs> but I was broadcasting with um, Schalke legend, Stefan Freund, legends as far as fans of other clubs are concerned and um we were commentating on the game and, and it's funny that the german commentator next to us about 20 minutes into the match actually name checked us because he could hear us during the game in english marveling about the atmosphere at the stadion under alten first so um yeah i i think you've got to hand it to union that's a special place. But you know what? Every stadium I've been to in Germany has its own vibe. And I come out of every experience. And I do make a point of going to games as a fan. You know, if I have a, a Bundesliga game on, on a Saturday and I'm not working on the Sunday, I will go to a game on the Sunday. And it might not be a top division game. It might be a, a tighter Bundesliga game. Um, you know, it might be another league, although not usually on a Sunday. I have been known to cram Dritte Liga games early on a, <laughs> on a Saturday, two o'clock kickoffs um, if I'm working at an evening game. So you know the drill. Uh, Fridays are great because there's always a game on somewhere on a Friday. And um, it's about just imbibing and taking in the atmospheres at all these matches. But ask me again next week. I'll, I'll name five different venues for you. <laughs> uh, one, of our, one of our viewers right now, Pascal, he agrees with you about Darmstadt, you know, old tradition German club. Yeah. Um, you, Jack, you can tell the passion that he has for German football. And I mean, just the other day, you, you tweeted, Derek, how you know when you're not working, you're you're watching a lower league yeah. game at there because you enjoy the, the the scenery so much. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think people should definitely go out and check out all those games if they ever get the chance in Germany. Hopefully, when all this pandemic this you know dissipates and stuff, we can all travel again uh, more yeah. freely. Uh, so. I guess you know. What, I guess we should eventually uh, transition over to the game this past weekend that you got the call that we had to watch. Mm. Uh, our uh did not fare so well. Uh, we we thought going into the game that it was going to be a struggle. Bayern people wanted to say Bayern didn't have any preseason, so they were going to struggle or be be off. Come on, they just won the Champions League title like yeah, two, weeks, two ago. weeks ago. I mean, they're still pretty much. And you guys were saying that on the call. Honestly, it was yeah. like that, that's a really weird narrative. And Richard <laughs> and I were saying that on our our preview earlier uh, last week. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
so what were your thoughts watching that game? I mean, we know how we felt. What was it like for you watching a game like that? Or just in games like in general when you think they're going to be close and they turn out to be not so close? This was a strange one because I did think that Bayern probably would have too much firepower. But at the back of my mind, I also considered the fact that they had only been back training at the Zebener Straße for 10 days. Schalke had had seven weeks. Although, and like you guys, uh, I watched a few of the preseason games and, you know, they weren't particularly <laughs> pretty for the most part either, were they? No. Against Bochum, it was better. I thought, right. you know, I watched the Bochum game and I thought, okay, so maybe that they're going to be ready. The one thing that I didn't bank on was Schalke being as passive as they were on this match. I really thought that we would see more of the, and it was discussed quite a bit at the end of last season, the sort of the, the Mauer tactic, you know, the sort of the, the, the very deep-lying, defensive-orientated play that sometimes you have to adopt when you're in trouble. I thought we would see a bit more of that from David Wagner's side. But instead, it was a high line. It was almost sort of inviting Bayern to come on to them. And then, you know, once Bayern got in behind, it was sort of, you know, good night. That's the end of the story. So they made it very easy for Bayern. That's what I didn't count on. You know, I thought that Schalke, you know, we all know about the, and I often talk about it in commentary, the, um, the malocha mentalitet, you know, hard work and, and making sure you are absolutely present and, and okay, maybe you're not going to, compete with Bayern in terms of a technical footballing contest, but competing in other areas. And I just didn't see Schalke compete. And, you know, I am a little bit concerned because I look at the team and, and I, I think to myself, all these players who have come back having been away, they're now back at Schalke. They were away on loan for a reason. In most cases, not because they're young players who needed that game experience. They were kind of problem children in in some respects, you know, that yeah. might sound a bit harsh, but you know what I'm... No, Ben, ben Taleb yeah. was a great example of that. Ben Mark Gut and Sebastian Rudy as well. I mean, these are, not, yeah. these are not young guys anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, here they are back at Schalke and playing, and, you know, some, so many of them playing in the, the same side against the Rekordmeister at the Allianz Arena. And, yeah, it, it just didn't go well. What I will say, though, is that I don't think that being thrashed by... Germany's best team, the world's best team, necessarily is a portent of, of awful things to come. But really, it's a wake-up call. And, you know, when you consider that Leipzig and Dortmund are waiting in the next two away games, they've really got to cash in at home. And so this Werder Bremen match, my goodness, it's pressure-packed in week two already. Well, there was just a report from Bill, I believe, that came out earlier today, if I'm not mistaken, that suggested that there's been an ultimatum given to David Wagner that yeah. they have to basically get a win against Werder Bremen. Otherwise, he, he could be on the chopping block. But, um, I mean, going back to what you said about the Bayern match for a second, I, I, I think I agree with you. Like, we would have either expected them to sit a little bit deeper or if they were going to, you know, play out a little bit with that higher line, have more ball pressure. Yeah. than they ultimately did because they made it far too easy yeah. for them in a lot of different ways to you know to to to, to get up into the final third and everything and um I guess from the Bayern perspective quickly before we do a slightly deeper dive into Schalke every year this is the talking point in the Bundesliga is 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 anybody going to be able to unseat Bayern are they going to continue this dominant streak um they're playing on an insanely high level right now I mean you just I mean Schalke lost you know eight nil. Bayern, I mean, uh, Barcelona, 8-2, right, recently? I mean, yeah, yeah. so that, that's a much better team than, than Schalke. We're, I mean, we're not the only ones who are you know, having this done to us at the moment. Um, 
do you see anybody? Of course, there's a chance, but I mean, honestly, realistically, do you see any possibility um, uh, of Bayern not winning this unless the condensed nature of this season's schedule just results in you know undue attrition due to injury or you know you know fatigue that sort of thing? I think it's that sort of thing that might be Bayern's undoing if there is an undoing, but I honestly don't see it. And, you know, I predicted last season, too, that Bayern would win the, the title when a few people were doubting them. A lot of people were sort of saying this might be the year when somebody else emerges. And, of course, we know what happened in the end. <laughs> I, I just think this season with where Bayern are in terms of their confidence levels, in terms of Hansi Flick, in terms of this sort of mini Umbruch, to use the good German word, the sort of, um, you know, transitional phase having been completed now, you know, we're at the stage now where, you know, the question was when Robin and Ribéry left, would the replacements be good enough? Would Kovac be good yeah. enough? Well, he, he wasn't as it, as it Sign turned out. Yeah, really. yeah, I mean, good. yeah, we, you know, and you saw, we saw how good, and you guys all yeah. know how good Zane is from his Schalke time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, I said it in commentary, he looked as though he'd been playing for Bayern his entire career in that one game on, on Friday against Schalke. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's going to be very difficult. Somewhere along the line, they have to slip up themselves. And Didi Hamann has been talking about that on TV in Germany in the last week. He actually believes that there will come a point where Bayern will if you like, shoot themselves on the foot. I just don't see that it's going to happen anytime yeah. soon. I mean, you know, Dortmund played well against Gladbach. Um, bit disappointed in Gladbach in their game on Saturday, especially second half. But, you know, are Dortmund going to be able to do that over the course of the season in comparison with Bayern? I'm still not sure. They're, yeah. they're going to let the league down as always, which we're totally fine with because we're always uh, not particularly, not particularly <laughs> phased with Dortmund. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A little <laughs> big there. Um, one of the one of the one of the I guess bright spots of the offseason for Schalke is bringing in. Uh, we knew that striker position was a much needed position that we needed. We brought in Ibisevic and Pasienza, two big strikers, yeah. uh, who who are better known at putting the ball in the net more than I guess Guido Bergstaller and company. Um, what were your thoughts on the moves for those two players in particular, and what could what do you think they could bring to Schalke despite this last game that we just saw? Well, first of all, poor old. Guido Burgstaller. You love Guido, by the way. Yeah, I know. But he just doesn't score anymore. And I'm not sure you can have a striker who doesn't score in 21 games. But um, that's another story. Um, what I would say about Paciencia and Ibišević is um, I made my predictions last week for final placings. I always do that just the week before the, the start of the season. And that was just before Paciencia had been signed. And then when they made that signing, I thought, okay, I actually quite like this because I've watched a lot of Paciencia at Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, I think he's a player of some quality and I think he might be better than what Schalke have got. The trouble is, as far as I'm concerned, they have all these strikers, but who actually fits? You know, which one of them fits? Now, I know a segment of the support will say, of course, Kutuchu should fit. He should be the one who should play every game. Free who's saying who's saying that? I don't I don't think that was started on this podcast. I don't I don't think that was us. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. Um, but you know, I mean, and I love Kutuchu. I, I think he yeah, yeah, I think he plays with real verve and zest. But um, you know, Paciencia is a bit more rounded at this point in his career, and I think he's somebody who can help. And I think Ibišević is somebody who can help as well. Uh, not necessarily every game, but I think also as a good influence in the dressing room. And you do need that hierarchy in a dressing room, especially when you think the going 
could be tough. And of course, Alexander Jobst has has already said that you know the goals have been downgraded for this year. It's no longer about even thinking of European football. So you know if you're on that mindset, then you do need hardened pros like that. So I think Paciencia and Ibišević can certainly help. It's really where all these other attacking players fit in. Uh, you know, Mark Ut, we we've mentioned briefly, uh, did really well for for the team that I have more than a soft spot for, Kern. And of course, he is a Kerner, and you could see that all of a sudden it started to happen for him when he went home. Um, not so much maybe after the, the restart, but before that. Yeah. Um, you know, who else? Who else is going to help in an attacking sense? Is it going to be Skribski? You know, I'm not sure. I haven't seen enough from him to think that he legitimately is going to be somebody who would, would help in an attacking sense. So, um, yeah, I, th- there is more hope, I think. And, and Paciencia, I, I thought, actually started the game quite well on Friday. You know, we're talking maybe just the first 10 or 15 minutes, but, you know, before we, we knew the first it. first minute and a half, we're going to hold yeah, on to that yeah. minute and a half for, for uh, that's our positive. We <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sort of be an honorary Schalke fan here as, a, as I talk, but, yeah, I know it's difficult after a, a blamage like that. Oh, man. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. Um, I mean, that... It's a very difficult state, as you said. You know, be, you know, going into the in the off season, many wondered, you know, what was the si- situation going to be with Wagner? Uh, and the club decided, Jokic Schneider and the, the team decided to hunker down and say Wagner is our man. Um, obviously, the the end of the the Rook run was uh, not the way anyone at the club wanted it to go. Uh, so they knew that maybe playing Byron first game of the season was going to be the, was going to be a tell all, you know. But losing losing in the fashion they did all of a sudden puts them on the hot seat that maybe it's an unexpected hot seat much more sooner than anticipated, I think, from a Schalke perspective, huh? Derek, I mean, yeah. there's there's a, there's a number of factors that are going into probably why David Wagner is still in his sure. position. I mean, for one, just the financial situation at Schalke. How many coach yeah. salaries can we carry at, at one point in time? Um, also, you know, Jochen Schneider, this being his first managerial hire, probably has more stake in, in, in seeing that be successful because it might reflect poorly on him. But it, do you think it was a mistake after, you know, what was – just horrific second half. I mean, Schalke are the worst team in the Bundesliga in 2020 on the whole, and it's not particularly close. No. Do you think that was a mistake, or do you think he should have been given a second opportunity, um, especially given you know like how bad this, this opening schedule is? It's probably going to be rough for us. Put it this way, he's quite a lucky man to still be in the post. I can think of other coaches after 16 games without a win in the Rückrunde, as you've mentioned. Um, what, nine goals scored during that period? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah. you know, many another coach under those circumstances would have been let go and, and it would have been a fairly straightforward decision. But I suppose I can understand what Jochen Schneider said. You know, he took into account the the Hinrunde, and I loved watching Schalke in the Hinrunde, as I'm sure you did as well. I mean, there were moments of great excitement, and I can think of some of the early season matches that I was lucky enough to commentate on when they really were firing on all cylinders. I remember one game in uh, Paderborn that I did early in the season um, when they, they scored five, as I recall, and, uh, okay, it was Paderborn, but it was Schalke really hitting the high notes. And I seem to remember a Mainz game as well that I did around that time that um, uh, that saw, I mean, Arit really come to the fore. And, you know, there were so many good things. And, and yeah. we all felt, didn't we, that Wagner had brought his influence to bear, that this was a good fit, that this was a, uh, you know, a, a, a true Schalke presence in charge of the team. And this was going to work. 
And then for it to just go the other way, and I use the, the phrase in commentary on Friday, Angsthasen Fußball, you know, scared football, timid, uh, terrified football. And so, you know, what was suddenly going to change? That, that's what I, I would like to know. I'm not usually a proponent of just getting rid of a coach for the sake of it, but I think it was a big call by Jochen Schneider at a time when Schalke were trying to sort of retool a bit and say, you know, this is not going to be the old Schalke. We are not going to be pushing for Europe or anything like that. And would it have been the time, the logical time to bring somebody in who was more in keeping with those expectations? Now, as it is, the pressure is on. If it goes the wrong way against Werder Bremen, the pressure is really on. And, you know, we've all, the thing is, we've all been talking about it, haven't we? We've all been talking about how there's a real chance that they could do what they did in 2016 and 2018 and lose the first five games. You know, that that is a real possibility. Now, Very lost, real, yeah. Yeah, 2016, 2018, they lost the first five. They sort of got away with it after that. Um, although, you know, 2018, 2019 was touch and go. Um, and, yeah. you know, Hoop Stevens came in and, and steadied the ship after Domenico Tedesco. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel for Wagner. I think he's a good guy. I think he is throwing everything into it. But at a certain point, the the ideas sometimes dry up when you're in this kind of rut, and it, it often needs a new voice in order to get you out of that. So I'm going to be watching. I mean, I always watch Schalke with interest because I think, you know, not just because I'm on this podcast, they are a fascinating club. I mean, there's a soap opera quality to Schalke that, uh, you know, would, would draw me to the team if I weren't a uh, a sympathizer, I won't call myself a fan, but a sympathizer of Köln, then I would, you know, seriously be looking at Schalke as the sort of team to to have sympathies for. But um, yeah, I think it's it's a very interesting start to the season. And rest assured, that Schalke-Bremen game, that's the one I will be watching closer than any other this weekend. Well, we appreciate your solidarity as a, as a, as a sympathizer. <laughs> uh, going along with, with, with some of these poor performances, uh, not just the dip in performance, but with some of the things that have been going, going on around the club, uh, Clemens Tony's the scandals yeah. early last season with that um, and his ultimate dismissal, the financial situation. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell from our own bubble you know, within the Schalke community, there's a lot of online banter that's kind of superficial in terms of Schalke, you know, no fear when we ship four goals. But on, on a larger sense, outside of that, do you feel that Schalke's reputation has in any way taken a hit in, in recent seasons or even, you know, in the past year or so, um, you know, to, to the larger footballing community? I don't think the Clemens Tunius business did him any good. It did the club any good. I think they let it drag on for too long. And I think should have been more decisive um, in that regard. I, I was surprised to see him at the game on Friday. In fact, um, you probably saw that image as I did. I almost had to do a double take because remember, we, I'm just watching the same picture as you are, and I'm looking at Jochen Schneider, and then I'm saying, oh, "Wait a minute, that's Tunius at the, the the back of the the, the Tribune of Honor there." And it turns out Uli Hernes had basically said, "You can come to the game." Um, <laughs> again, optically, I thought that was not great uh, to have Clemens Tunius there and seen with all the other Schalke dignitaries. So you got to think about these things and, yeah. and football clubs do think about these things. And, and of course it's been hugely controversial in Germany. Um, you know, not just what happened with, with Tunius at the start of last season, but also the, the factory um, issues during the, the pandemic. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, so I think, um, you know, that has been difficult and, Schalke fans have made themselves heard on that subject. 
So I think it's, again, one of these things, you, you try to, to look after your club and you try to do the right thing by your club. And no individual is bigger than the club itself, especially a traditionsverein like Schalke. You know, the history speaks for itself. And anybody who is chairman of the boards, president, they are merely custodians who are passing through. You know, that is yeah. the way every Schalke fan would want it. None of these people, not Jochen Schneider, um, not Peter Peters beforehand, none of these people are bigger than right. the institution of Schalke itself. Oh, good old Uli Honest. Uh, before we get into your picks for the season, you can't really ah, see yes. it on the screen. Yeah, no, I can't. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on, real quick, on Weston McKinney, his move from Schalke to, to Juventus? Um, what are you going to miss about, you know, talking about the American? And just, just, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. We know how we feel. You know, we've talked about it at length, it seems like. But I'm curious how you feel as, a, uh, as a, someone who comments on the games often. I'm going to miss him because I think he gave Schalke a lot of presence and energy in midfield. He was often one of the players who would do that in the second half of last season when nobody else seemed to be doing it. I mean, one yeah. thing I would say about McKenney is the guy really cares. Uh, you know, he's a good footballer, but he cares as well. I've commentated on many very talented footballers who frankly don't always care. But I think with McKenney, you could tell that, that every game is an event to him and he's up for it and he's professional yeah. and you can ask for nothing more. And I don't begrudge him his opportunity in Italy with Juventus. I think it's uh, a terrific opportunity for him. As I say, I think he's learned a tremendous amount in Germany. And I have a feeling that if we, as we undoubtedly will, 10 years from now, if we um, ask Weston you know, about his formative years in German football, he will say, yeah, you know, that was the right choice. It was the right place to go. And uh, I'm just seeing on the screen there, Weston was a Malocha. Absolutely. He is a Malocha and will always be a Malocha. Yeah. And that will be part of, of his identity as a footballer. So, yeah, I'm going to miss him like you guys. But, you know, certainly we'll follow him with interest. And, you know, who knows? Maybe someday he'll be back. You never know in football. Were you surprised at all that a club as as big as Juve came for him? Or do you feel as though that... Um, Maybe some of the, uh, the the inconsistency and the chaos at Schalke over the past couple of seasons has actually painted a a, uh, a poorer picture of Weston McKinney at times as a player um, than than is probably fair to him. Yeah, I, I think he's probably at times been dragged down by the overall situation. I mean, that can happen to any player. Um, you know, he hasn't been out, outstanding in every game. You can't be when the team is struggling. But I, I think the the education still has served him well. And I think he did make the right choice. And, you know, the Knappenschmiede uh, at Schalke quite rightly has a very strong reputation. And, you know, I think it's important that that reputation remains intact. I think it's always been a big selling point of Schalke. I think it's been good business as well down the years that Schalke have been able to turn out these younger players sort of mold. Actually, that's part of the football business. But um, I think, you know, McKenney will always be a, a Schalke and uh, part of him at least will be that. And as I said, going to Juventus, it'll be a different challenge culturally, as well as a very different style of football. And that's one thing that I've seen down the years. Players sometimes struggle to get to grips with the Italian game. I think it's maybe, I'm not going to say easier to 
get to grips with the German game, but I think you sort of know what you're getting into with the German game. In Italy, there can be little nuances tactically and in terms of the pace of games that can be challenging for a new player. So I think he'll need time there. He'll need time to adapt and also linguistically and culturally. But I do believe it's good for footballers to expose themselves to different challenges in different cultures. And so if you're looking at this from an American point of view, and we're talking here from the USA, having done what he's done in Gelsenkirchen to now going to Turin with Juventus, and who knows what in the future, I think it's all just part of the, the sort of the popuri of, of a footballing career that will stand Weston McKenney in very good stead. Uh, very nicely said. Very nicely said. All right, so I'm looking at your predictions for this this season. Uh, in 15th place, you have our beloved Schalke. Yeah. Uh, below mm-hmm. them is Mainz, Armenia, Bielefeld, and Augsburg. Do you yeah. still stand by that, that position after the 8-0 game? <laughs> I, I still think Schalke will find a way to stay up. I, I do believe that. I, I think it might be touch and go. I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, what I've sort of had in my mind at the start of the season is maybe what happened a couple of years ago, that, that, it, that it might not be pretty. It's going to have to be very gritty and it's going to have to be a, a collective effort. It's going to have to be a team of, of, uh, of players with the aforementioned Malucha mentalitet. Yeah. And um, I, I do think there's enough quality. But of course, what we don't know now is who's going to be sold. You know, is Ozan Kabak still going to be there? Yeah, yeah. We, we just don't know right now. Out of necessity, who's going to have to be sold? Um, I don't like all these lone players who've come back. Uh, I'm not sure that is the answer. I'm puzzled by a few other things. I mean, some of the younger players um, weren't in the squad at the weekend. Um, Jan Bozdoan, for example, wasn't yeah. in the squad. I, I don't quite get that. I, I would almost be happier to see Schalke build with players like that, with Bujalab, with Bozdoan. You're, it's music to our ears because we've yeah. been saying that for, yeah. for quite a while. And I think this is an interesting point that you that you touch on. You, you're talking about you know the the hardworking mentality that we need to have to potentially survive this, this season. But when you look at, at least for, for match day one, obviously things can change. When you look at the makeup of the squad that was in the starting 11, a lot of the players that you're seeing are once again, Mark Oot, Sebastian Rudy guys that we kind of had tried to get rid of because they weren't performing to the level we, we wanted to. And they probably maybe don't want to be here either at the moment, but then also, um, you know, Bensalib has been reintegrated into the squad, but has been a problem child at times. I mean, Harita as well. Um, so yeah. if you're talking about you know people that really need to be committed and dig in, there's a significant portion of, of the first team squad, at least from match day one, that you wouldn't necessarily bank on on those being the guys. Like McKenney would have been a good example, and you know some of the the leaders that we had in the past, like Analdo, maybe somebody like that. Um, it, it seems like potentially this is not quite, and I don't want to be too harsh on the guys, but um, really the character that maybe we, we would need to survive this season. I think character is a good word. I, I think that you do need character when you're in this kind of state of having downgraded everything, having said that you know it's not going to be wonderful, fluent football. It is going to be backs to the wall. And so when it is, you need a certain sort of player for that challenge. And you know I've seen so many teams in the Bundesliga in the last decade who you know, look on paper as though they're quite good and then find themselves in a relegation battle and you reach the conclusion that they're not that well equipped for the relegation battle. I think of Wolfsburg of a few years ago when they ended up in the relegation playoff and got through against Eintracht Braunschweig. I remember thinking that team is not a team that really 
is set up at all to fight relegation. You need specific players for that who who are fighters. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that's right. We didn't see the fight against Bayern. We, we saw too many players who were, you know, switched off, who, who were not committed. And, you know, they are going to need commitment in the weeks coming up. And I think commitment can sometimes come with young players. Can't all be young players, of course. Has to be a balance. But as I mentioned Bozduan. I liked what I saw from him at the end of last season. Exactly. You know, I think, yeah, and I think he's somebody who, who should be around the, the Schalke scene for a little while anyway. So, um, yeah, it was just difficult. It was just annoying because it was difficult to find any plus points. I mean, Fairman did well. Um, you could probably say... Given the, the circumstances, yeah. Given the circumstances, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's slim pickings, but I mean, he, he, he was busy, obviously, but he did yeah. make some good saves. Um, apart from that, you just wouldn't really find anybody else to, to compliment, would you? Sorry to sorry that I zoomed us back into Schalke for a second, but yeah, uh, no. going going back to your your table, it seems to me that I'm I'm looking at your your predictions here, and the one that really stands out to me is is uh, how highly you put Werder Bremen coming in at ninth. Yeah, um, yeah, after the campaign that they had last season, I'm actually somewhat high on them as well. What is it that you're expecting to see from them that's justifying that that table position for you? Well, of course, I'm already beginning to question it after what I saw <laughs> on Saturday against Hertha. Um, but I think it really comes down to this, Jack. I think when I look at the squad and I look at the coach who I do rate, I freely admit I really rate Florian Kohfeldt. I know that some people don't. Some people say, nah, you know, I think he's all talk and, and he's he's not that great. I, I actually believe in the guy and I think he will end up being a success somewhere, whether it's Bremen or not. But I remember covering the, the relegation playoff against Heidenheim. And I remember just, again, going through the squad and thinking to myself, this is not a team, in my opinion anyway, that should be in the lower reaches of the table. Now, maybe I've overestimated them a tad by having them finish ninth in the Bundesliga this season. But remember the, the season before, how high up they were. And I think yeah. I wasn't alone last season. I, I had them finishing sixth or seventh. And I remember comparing and contrasting with a lot of other people at the beginning of the last campaign. And, and most people had them in the top 10. So it was a surprise. And I'm really putting it down to a little bit of a, a blip. Now, they don't have Rashica, who you know we know as a special player, but he was injured and sometimes a luxury player. I quite like um, Tahi Chong, who they've they've picked up. Um, I think he will add a bit of flair. You know, it's when I look at the team, I think you know Chong now, Klassen, who I really like a lot in midfield. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, exactly. I think he's one of the yeah one of the better um, forward-thinking, forward-going midfield players in the Bundesliga. Uh, Niklas Füllkrug, we know that he's somebody who can score goals, was injured until he came back towards the end of last season. Josh Sargent, who is a promising US player. I think they've got to sort out with Sargent yeah. where he's going to play because um, the issue against Hertha was they used him wide and he didn't get into the game at all. I think probably he has to play either as the lone striker or um as a partnership, as part of a partnership with, with Fulkrug. Um, so that's something they've got to sort out. But I wouldn't be too down, even though, again, it wasn't great. And I, I watched large chunks of that game against Hertha. I'm going to go back and watch more of it this week because I'm intrigued just to know specifically what went wrong. Um, but 
that's what I've what I've put down on paper. And it's always fun because at the end of the season, you can sort of have a laugh. I mean, sometimes you get it right. A couple of years ago, when Fortuna Dusseldorf came back into the league, I think I was about the only person um, who covers the Bundesliga who had them finishing, you know, 10th or 11th or, or whatever it was. But it, it, it was the exact, uh, the exact correct prediction. Sometimes you get it right. Other years, you totally get it wrong. I've probably overrated... Bremen, and I've probably overrated Köln, although that, again, is a matter of the heart, uh, probably. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's all part of it. Augsburg looked really good at the weekend, and I've got them finishing last because yeah. I just feel somewhere along the line they are going to get relegated, but they always defy the odds. So, again, maybe I shouldn't have made that prediction. Same with Mainz. You know, Mainz have got finishing in 16th in the relegation playoff position. They avoided that by the skin of their teeth last season. Again, a bit like Augsburg, I sort of feel the time will come for Mainz to go down, but will it be this season? Who knows? I, I re, re, sorry, Richard, real quick. I, I, I appreciate though that you, you know, you're willing to put it on paper and get it yeah. out there. I, I do the same <laughs> thing, but for me, I, I use the full names of the clubs to make it as indecipherable and impenetrable as, as possible, <laughs> hoping that people just give Cover up yourself. and not actually like go through it and read it. So, I mean, you, you at least, you know, play plain language and, and put it out there for everybody. So we appreciate that. Well, I, I know we both hope that you overrated Dortmund. You know, hopefully they don't finish second this year, finish below that. But uh, outside of, you know, you were talking about last year uh, and, you know, Dusseldorf making a surprise. Do you see any other teams making a surprise? Like last year, Freiburg and Union really surprised people how, how well they played and, uh, for a good part of the season. Do you see any other teams being a surprise outside of Bremen? Um, I don't think I've got anybody on my list who... Um strikes me as somebody who might crack the top six or the top seven or anything like that. I, I think maybe this is something we have to get used to in Germany. Although, you know, traditionally there, there is one team that will sort of break up, break away from the, uh, the mid table pack and, and suddenly surprise you. But I think we're in a, a period where the top four or five is, is fairly well established now. You know, I, I think it's quite difficult, you know, a team like say, um, Eintracht Frankfurt, you know, I, I, I like them. I, I think there's a lot to like about them. They're inconsistent. Um, but by and large, Adi Hütter's way of playing, I think is, is good. I think it has a lot to be admired, but it doesn't always come off. But I think that it's going to be difficult for them to do much better than, sixth or seventh you know i think that's kind of where we are i think it's we're in a sort of a bayern dortmund leipzig gladbach leverkusen world in terms of the top five it might switch around i could easily see gladbach ahead of leipzig um maybe not based on what we saw this weekend but you know over the course of a season could see leverkusen in there as well um but then you look at wolfsburg frankfurt hoffenheim you know who can be up and down but i think are a top half team um, beyond that, what Freiburg did last season early on surprised me, but they couldn't really keep it going right until the end. And I think they would be hard pressed based on their talent levels to be much better than ninth or 10th. I think that would be a good season still for SC Freiburg. So I think, yeah, it's a long winded way of saying I'm not really sure there's anybody outside that um, what's becoming a traditional top five now yeah. to to seriously break into it. I don't know what you guys think about that. I would I would probably I would probably agree. I just I yeah. don't think it's a season where you're gonna see yeah a surprise team going in there and shaking up uh the top four. I think there's a potential for the Europa League battle to maybe be slightly more interesting um with a couple of the teams down there. But I I think I'm pretty much aligned with you on, on your thoughts on that. Yeah I, I think I didn't mention there probably 
would be Hertha because, um, yeah, I know they got knocked out of the cup and then they scaled the heights uh, in Bremen. You know, and I think with, with Hertha, what we are talking about is potential, but maybe not this season, maybe not even the season after that. But there is money there. I think we all yeah. know that. Yeah. And so I think it stands to reason in a few years' time, we could be talking about Hertha as the team that maybe upsets the apple cart and changes the hierarchy. So, um, yeah, but we'll see. But I think, you know, fair play to Bruno Labadia, what he's done in a short space of time. But, you know, patience probably still required there. We have a very serious question from Jake Parnot. He says he's wondering if you play FIFA and listen to yourself commentate. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jake. Um, let me answer that. I do try to play FIFA from time to time. I'm not very good at it. I'm not a very good FIFA player. But, of course, when I commentate on the game, I want the game commentary to be as good as possible. So my solution for that is rather than playing it myself for hours and hours, I actually have been known to go online and I will look oh. for good, good players who are playing the game. And I'll just watch them playing it, sometimes for half an hour, an hour. And I'll watch how my commentary is being used in the context of the game. It's interesting. Because, yeah, because Very only by doing that, you know, I make little notes and I'll sort of, and then I'll talk to the production team and I'll say, yeah, I think this phrase is being used a lot or that doesn't work so well or that really works well. And I know they do the same thing. You know, they, they will, will probably play the game because they're better FIFA players than I am. Um, but yeah, so that's the answer. I, I do play it. I mean, I wish I were a better player, but uh, I'm quite happy to take note of, of what the really expert FIFA players are doing and, and using that to um, to try to make sure the commentary is on point. We're, we're coming up on, on an hour here. You've been incredibly generous yeah. with, with your time. We appreciate oh, it. I have, I have one final Loved one it. final question for you, and then Richard, if you have anything else. Uh, so my question this this question is more of a macro sense as well. Um, the the creep. I don't even know if you can call it creep anymore. It's just kind of here already. But the influence of money on the game is something that gets decried by supporters of all stripes from all over the world at times. Um, and particularly in the past few years, we've been seeing just exorbitant transfer fees, and not even for like star players with you know world class talent and, and commercial appeal and everything. Even just some some you know squad players at times. Um, and so my question is, as the Bundesliga is jockeying for market share and also trying to ensure that its top teams are competitive on a European level, so that's a good advertisement, you know, in the Europa League, the Champions League. Do you envision the 50 plus one rule coming under threat at all? And if not, do you think that that hurts the Bundesliga's prospects in terms of sort of competitiveness and, and appeal going forward? Like we know what it does for the fan culture, which is such a you know a crucial part of why the Bundesliga is something we all love. But I was wondering what your take on that was. I think it will come under threat because I think there are voices at play, and you know we all know about a certain gentleman in Hanover who would be very happy to overturn it tomorrow, and there are other people too who I think you know would would quite like to to do that. Um, I think that we have to always remember why things are special. And I'm a great believer, and again, maybe it's a, a you know, function of the fact that I go back a long way with the Bundesliga. I'm a great believer that if you change that essence of the league, if it just becomes like the Premier League, then I think we will have lost something. We will have lost what is uh, intrinsic to the league, what is special, and, you know, I ask fans about this when I'm on trains traveling up and down Germany. I, I get into conversations about this and I don't meet many who will say 
um, oh yeah, let's just get rid of 50 plus one and, and be like England or, or, or be like the USA with sporting culture. And, you know, then you say, well, you know, what if it meant that you could suddenly win the Bundesliga, you could win the Meisterschale, you could win the Pokal, you could do what Bayern are doing. And they still will say, no, you know, we, we like it the way it is right now. And, you know, I, I think Schalke are going to have a decision to make about that when it comes to the, the pro department in, you know, the yeah. next few weeks, probably. And we'll see what the, the answer to that question is. Um, but I think that tradition is important. And there are many things, and I'm not a marketing guru or anything like that, but I observe marketing. And there are different things and different ways you can um, sell something and market something. And I think the Bundesliga's biggest selling point is still this football as it's meant to be. Traditional yeah. football with passionate fans, with people who really care, community uh, over, you know, moneyed interests and over artificial things and and making something fake. So I, I do think that yeah, you can strike a balance and sometimes you have to, but you know, please let's never lose what is special. Let's never change that. Let's never get to the point where the Bundesliga is just a pale imitation of what might then be a bigger league somewhere yeah. else. We have something we all love and you know, let's not ruin it. Very well said. Derek, uh, it feels like we're talking to a friend. We're just chat we could chat hours with you, but we know you are an extremely busy man, and we are so thankful that you spent, you know, 50 minutes, 50 plus minutes an hour with us. Uh, so we want to thank you. Uh, before we let you go, is there anything do you want to plug? Uh, or maybe how can people find you? Obviously, I mean, everyone follows you already, but please plug away. It's your time. Oh, well, Richard, thank you very much. First of all, it's been a real thrill to come on with you guys. Kindred spirits. Uh, I feel we are, are all that, really. Those of us yeah. who are, are Bundesliga people, we have it in our blood. And, uh, you know, many people, obviously, who are, are far from Germany, but are, are glued to it. And I'm just the same as you guys. So, um, so yeah, more power to all of us on that front. Uh, if anybody wants to join us on Monday, ESPN Plus, we have live coverage from one of my favorite venues, the Bonovia Ruhr Stadion in Bochum, where St. Pauli are the visitors. Good old second division football, 2.20 on the air. I'm working on my own. It's just me, solo commentary. So I'll be glad to have your company tomorrow. And um, yeah, on Twitter, at Raycom, R-A-E-C-O-M-M. -M. Would love to have you follow. And I try to put as much um, unique German football news there every day. Uh, and just keep the, the line of communication flowing. And um, yeah, so keep in touch that way. And again, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for some of those columns as well. And we'll yeah. try to push those to our, uh, you know, you. Our, our fan base. But uh, thanks again for joining us. It's a true pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you, Derek. That's Derek Ray uh, and a lovely, lovely uh, interview here. Uh, wish you the best, my friend. And uh, we'll talk soon. Have a good night, sir. Take care, guys. Oh man, Derek Ray, man, that's awesome. That just made my year right there. This that made that last game. This ah, I'm glad. I'm glad we needed that good distraction, Jack. Yeah, I, I hope he didn't have anywhere to be about a half an hour ago because we ended up keeping him for basically an hour. But we no, we greatly appreciate that. Obviously, his his passion um, and his knowledge, uh, you know, uh, foreign of the Bundesliga, um, is uh, shines through quite quite clearly. So uh, you know, we we really appreciate him sitting down with us and uh, helping us uh, talk about a number of things, not just the 8-0, because if it was you and I by ourselves, we probably would have had to spend more time on that when oh. we uh, ideally you know, would have yeah. liked. So. 
And I, I luckily, I think we, you know, we can we can thank Derek because we did speak a good amount about the eight zero game more than we want to, and more than we could by ourselves, I think. So I don't know if we have to go into more depth about that. Uh, we lost eight nothing. We know that, folks. I don't know if anyone in the chat wants to talk more about that. Um, there's a lot of activity going on in the chat this evening. Um, so we're gonna get to some of the questions, I think, Jack. Unless you have any objections, get to the listener question because there were plenty. Fine by me. Let's do it. All right. Um, well. The coaching topic is one we're going to have to talk about talk about before we get out of this out of here. But let's start off with the other questions uh, from Chaka fans Australia. Uh, they ask, "Is there anything to be optimistic about this season?" I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Opt- optimistic? I, I don't know. Um, I, I think at least the the lens that we're kind of viewing this season through, you and I, is um, one of more survival, um, or, you know, at, at best, maybe a, you know, a, a comfortable mid table finish. Um, so in terms of anything that we can actually, you know, really accomplish or anything that's going to excite, excite us, I, I don't think that I can answer in the affirmative to that. But, um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm glossing over something, feel free to, uh, correct me. No, I agree with you. I mean, there's not much to be optimistic about. I'm, uh, we're, we'll see what the, the vertebrae game holds. Uh, we'll have, maybe a better sense of how we really are. Obviously, Byron game, you have to throw away. We were going to throw away anyway and seem to club through it away <laughs> at that game. Uh, but, you know, we did see a very quick glimpse of Pacienza, what he could do if, you know, he's given the ball. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm curious to see what Ibisevic is going to be doing for us and maybe, you know, seeing some of the youngsters again, like Bujaleb and, and, and Sean Bazdawan, how they do. I look to have a bounce back game for guys like um, Stambouli and, and Ozan Kabak. Yeah. Uh, they played more poor than 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 normal and so i don't expect that to be a norm with them so it's hard i, I, I mean some i mean the byron game was always gonna be difficult some of that's just yeah. you have to i don't know i i question obviously we talked about the rudy situation on the preview show um yeah. but particularly you know putting rudy at right back against leroy zane serge Gnabry seems questionable and then all even playing stambouli in a partnership as opposed to a back three with as good as Kabak has been at times, a relatively young and inexperienced center back seemed to be a mistake as well. And I don't know exactly who he would have played instead, but you know, I, I feel like I would have liked to see something else going on there besides um, that exact selection for this particular yeah. matchup. But this is a question from Chris Hughes. I wish we asked Derek, um, what is the optimal number of pints of beers to drink to, to prepare yourself for a Schalke match? Well, we at Schalke America always encourage everyone to drink, uh, responsibly, but what I'll say is, do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. We, Jack and I, well, at least I do. I, I like to go with the bourbon, something a little more darker uh, that gets right to the hits you right there. See, Jack's doing it. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's see. Next question is um, comment is from Tomats. Tomat, it's at Tomats nine. I hope the team bands together to be determined to do what it takes to stay in the league, and it doesn't start pointing fingers at each other. And I think that's the most important part. It's going to be difficult, especially given the circumstances of the Rook Runda and then how we started the season. Um, long as they, you know, can stay on the same page as best they can and try to band together, that's going to be the only way out. Uh, you start pointing fingers, and then you're looking at relegation uh, right in the face. Yeah, I don't want to be, you know, too over dramatic about the result on Friday because we kind of expected this, but. To, to an extent, and, this, and Pascal here just says, you know, Barca lost 8-2. It's not just us, right? They've been doing this to, to a lot yeah. of people. Hamburg um, tweeted out to, to Schalke after the game. They're like, we know how you're feeling. Well, Hamburg can shut <laughs> yeah, up. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're losing to Sandhausen and, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, but, like, I think one of the things that bothered me, though, or made me slightly concerned is there was, and I think Derek talked about this to an extent, 
a, a surprising lack of fight at, at points in that match. And it's one thing if you're seeing that in the midst of a horrendous free fall in the Rook run to last season where, you know, nothing's going your way and you're just trying to get to the end of the season and survive. And, you know, people aren't maybe putting it in hundred percent, but you know, new season blank slate match day one against, you know, a, a big team to, to, to see, some of that in, in certain parts of the game was concerning given how early into the season it really is. I wonder if that's, you know, uh, the, the players just not really fighting for David Wagner at this point or what's going on, but that was, that was slightly concerning. It, it, it certainly was. Um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Just, uh, see, this is why you shouldn't do Twitter when you're, when you're doing a live podcast, but anyway, <laughs> I, agree I, mean, it, I don't blame you for losing your train of thought while I just ramble, you know, it's what we do here. I'm used to no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Doug, our buddy Doug says, uh, not sure what to make of the performance. Uh, 5-1 maybe. You could chalk that up as the superior team beating us, but 8-0 has something else entirely. Perhaps we're missing the energy that young players like McKinney and Katu the free Katucci movement uh, bring in this issue. And, and, you know, Derek was talking about uh, the kind of energy that that uh, Weston McKinney brings to the game. We're going to be missing that. Katucci brings a little bit of that as well. Uh, but there's 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 a lot of there's not a lot of but there's some players that do have that energy. We, we're missing a a tiger in the in the midfield, um, a v, Arturo Vidal type. You know, someone's going to go after the balls, give you 100 percent at all times. We don't have that at the moment. Who is that? Someone needs to step up. We don't have a Jermaine Jones anymore. He's not going to come back and play for us. Yeah. Someone someone chatted us. Uh, what do you think we got to do? I mean, is there someone in the youth system maybe that we can grab that has that Chan Bazduan maybe? So, uh, yeah, the, the, the Bazduan thing was what I was going to mention because Derek Ray said that was a surprising um, match day squad omission. And for me, that was one of my biggest takeaways as well. I was surprised to not even see him amongst the bench. And, you know, you had uh, Amin Harit not as like a winger, which we've, we've talked about potentially being interested in taking a look at, but more in maybe like a 4-2-3-1 formation that actually can utilize wingers in an attacking sense. You had Harit out on the left in, in a 4-4-2, you know, and against Bayern with a system in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a role that was very vital to the pressing of, you know, the fullbacks when they receive the ball in those areas. Right, right. That does not seem to be Harit's skill set or something he's going to be interested in doing. And so you wonder why maybe there wasn't a Bosduan in that position and maybe Harit was rotated elsewhere. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. Someone also said that maybe uh, Omar Mascarell could be that guy potentially. Potentially, yeah, he definitely has a, the player's uh, attention when he's out in the pitch. So maybe, maybe he can be that kind of guy for us. Uh, it's a good point. Um, Paul Forster on Facebook uh, had a similar question: Is there hope for us? Um, yeah, yeah, there certainly is. But I'm curious what to see how Bremen goes. It's a, obviously a gauntlet that we're facing. We we had a terrible game, beyond terrible game recently. But let's, let's show up. Let's show up against Bremen and give us some hope. That'll that if we fight in that game. Uh, that'll give all of us hope. But uh, at the moment, I, there certainly is hope that we look at all the youngsters we have. I mean, freaking our boy Evan Rotondo on the U17s has eight goals and five assists in the first eight games this season, in preseason. Hey, come on. That's a long ways away, but still, we, there's hope. Yeah. There's hope, guys. Come on. Yeah. All right. Uh, David Thielen says, uh, well, with the changes being, chances being pretty good that Wagner will be let go, especially with the, what we heard today uh, from uh, Shaka Daly and Build saying that if Wagner loses against Bremen, he's out. Um, he says, uh, with our financial situation and lack of great available options, I'd assume we'd go for one season contract with an option to extend. Since uh, we'll, be, we'll be strugglers, we need an experienced guy who can basically help us survive in a mold like Alabadia or Gizdol. Um, another a couple other names I'm going to bring up, Jack, uh, besides those two. Raul's name has been flirted with us, uh, especially in the summertime, uh, maybe this being his first senior job with Schalke. Uh, Sandro Schwartz has been mentioned many times in this chat. 
here, uh, Ralph Rangnick, we kind of shot that down in the summertime where he's looking for a director's role and coaching job, and I don't think he's going to get that from Schalke. Uh, Ralph Hasenhudel, he's currently at Southampton, so I don't think he's going to leave in the beginning of the season. Uh, same thing you can say about Roger Schmidt uh, over at PSV. Same thing. He just started his campaign there. Uh, and the last name I'm going to throw out there is Nico Kovac. Um, that would be a little bit pricier, but um, any other names you're thinking of or, or of the names you mentioned, <clears throat> anyone you're thinking no, I mean, yeah, we saw the, the the Sandro Schwartz news today with that with that build rumor about you know Wagner potentially being on the chopping block, depending on the the Victor Bremen result. Um, I'm not stoked about that possibility, but I do think if you look at sort of the 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 general shape he he typically played was sort of like a four three one two that didn't use wingers as such, and that's a huge deficiency in our squad right now is, is the lack of players that can really fill that position. So I, I do wonder if our, if our squad makeup at the moment would actually be conducive to what he's he's done typically um, in his career in the Bundesliga so far. But yeah, it really is kind of a mixed bag with him. I think, uh, you know, the, the first season, um, they were like kind of fighting relegation. And then year two, they they very much uh, had, a, had a bounce back year. And then once again, last season, um, I think they lost something like maybe like eight of the first 11 or something like that. And it was, it was, they weren't always big losses. The only, the only large score lines were really against um, uh, like Bayern Munich, for instance. And, and a lot of the losses were like one nil that, uh, you know, two, one, that sort of a thing. Um, so they were somewhat competitive, but uh, yeah, I, I have doubts about whether or not he's the right guy to write the ship. And the other, the other obvious name is one that you mentioned is, is Ralph Rognick, but I think, yeah, there's questions about um, whether or not Schalke would be willing to offer him sort of the organizational control that he seems to be interested in. You look at what he did with, with Leipzig, you know, being in a much higher position and then sometimes kind of coming down onto the pitch to, to take over the managerial position for certain uh, stints of time. Um, you know, especially with, with Tony's leaving and there's some sort of being um, uh, upheaval in the hierarchy at Schalke. You wonder if they're going to be willing to sort of cede that much control to somebody else, just as things are, things are changing right now. It's going to be interesting to watch. I know that a lot of people want Sandro Schwartz, um, and and I understand why he's a, he he has a very talented mind from what we've seen and what we've heard about him. Um, but the results have not been there for the teams that he's had at Mainz and and, and other teams he's, he's managed. Um, a name that I'm going to throw out there, um, who I think is begging to be, he's he's not going to be looking for a top league top team anymore. And I think it's Kovac. Um, what he did at Frankfurt, you know, people want to talk about what he did at Bayern and how it was money and this and that, and, and he failed there, I guess if you want to call that. Um, what he did at Frankfurt was amazing, and it's a very similar situation in terms of you're not going to have a lot of money. Do with what you, you know, work with what you got and make the most out of the players. And I think Kovac could bring that. Now, could they afford that? Would he want to do that? I, in my opinion, he needs to take a step down from the, his team choices. You know, it can't be the top elite teams anymore because. No one's going to take him after what he did at Bayern, but you know, take a step back and find a, a lower a lower team to maybe try to reinvigorate his career. I think Schalke might be a perfect place to do that if we could afford him. I don't know if we could. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, the money thing is one question, and I, I just I don't see him making that choice just because, um, you know, he he had reached that Bayern level, which was the next big step in his career. It didn't go the way he wanted. He's taking a little bit of a hit now. I think there's a possibility that the next club he takes over is going to be something of uh, a more sure bet than what Schalke is at the moment. Because I think the last thing he would want is to take over Schalke trying to be the hero and then have us get relegated or something like, like what's that going to do for his reputation? Um, you know, on top of the hit it's already taken recently, you know, justified or unjustified, obviously I, th I think, you know, what he did at Frankfurt should have bought him a little bit more credit than perhaps 
um, what people have been giving him recently um, based on how things went at Bayern. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm not convinced that he's going to look at Schalke and be like, that's the one that that's the situation I want to put myself into right now. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's going to be hard to get, sell, sell this on him. Um, and, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too big of a fan on Schwartz. I like Schwartz, but I don't want him for Schalke because I don't, I haven't seen enough on his track record to convince me that I mean, he could prove me wrong. And, I, and I'll, if he gets what joins us, I'm happy, but um, he doesn't have a proven track record just yet. Uh, and then, you know, when we throw all these names out there, um, a lot of people, you know, they, they're nostalgic here, especially at Schalke. They want to bring back Hoob. A lot of people here are talking about Tedesco. Uh, would you want any of them? And I'll, and I'll just tell you my opinion right out of front. While I love both of those managers, I don't want either of them. You know, Mirko Slonko is another name possibly. I don't want any. I don't want somebody who we've had before because we're just going to be stuck in the cycle. Um, let's just find um, – and let's go. Let's move forward from those guys. I love those guys. You know, the only thing we're going to do is taint their careers. <laughs> we're going to taint their, you know, their, 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 their uh, memory of uh, that we have of them. So, I don't want any anybody who's been with us in the past. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not necessarily out on a on a Tedesco return at some point down the line, but I think this would be far too soon. And he's um, very well at Spartak at the moment. Oh yeah, for sure. And we need to give him an opportunity to like have a career um elsewhere and i yeah I, I don't think that him just coming back in you know he gets he gets let go for david wagner david wagner gets let go for tedesco doesn't make a whole lot of sense and um but you know obviously somebody who's still despite the way things went you know in that second half of the season um somebody who's held in in high esteem i think by the fan base in general and, and somebody who's looked upon fine. It, was, it wasn't an acrimonious departure tedesco um you know the fans i think really appreciated you know what he brought to the club despite you know it ultimately going south at the end yeah no I, that's that's very true um anything else you want to talk we had a fucking a great great interview with uh with derek ray i'm so happy he was on uh anything else you want to chat about tonight we're at an hour 15 there's some tactical things we could say about byron Schalke, but yeah. i mean what's the what's the point at, at this this point in time so yeah i say we just uh sail out of here and uh hope we're we're back in in, in better form next week against verda bremen and can kind of start building something yeah no no doubt about that um you know if you guys haven't done so yet, you know, make sure you sign up for the Shaka US newsletter as always. I just put your email in there. You're going to get updates, uh, newsletter every month. Um, you know, get try to get your gear at the Shaka at the Shaka store as well. Uh, we have gear as well. You know, we're going to try to expand our, our, our gear, podcast gear, but you know, just go to teespring.com and uh, search Shaka American and get some uh, gear for us. This is the, from the Shaka store, not from uh, Shaka America, but uh, regardless. Uh, let's wrap this one up, Jack. Keep tuning in each week as we bring you the latest from the Royal Blues. Uh, this was episode 99. Next week is episode 100. We're going to be doing a giveaway, so stay tuned on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we'll be uh, mentioning about the giveaway, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we want to thank Schalke uh, for providing the snippets of our podcast as well as the Bundesliga, but most of all, Derek Ray uh, for providing some fabulous insight for us. Uh, could not be more thrilled to have someone on on, on like Derek. Uh, Certainly made my uh, Shaka podcast career for sure uh, thus far. So uh, thank you, Derek, again, once again. Um, if there are any topics you would like us to discuss, just tweet at us at Shaka America or send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Jack, where can our followers find you on social media? At J.M. Mangan, J-M-M-A-N-G-A-N on Twitter. Very good. And as always, you can follow me at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Uh, thank you, boys and girls. Uh, this was fun. I don't know what the heck that just I just said right there, but uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Regardless, shoes.